from NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. This is episode 227 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you haven't done so yet, please subscribe to Ministry Monday wherever you listen to your podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. Ministry Monday is happy to offer a two-part series on lessons and carols. Yes, we know when we release this episode that it is still August, but we at Ministry Monday also know that planning for things like Advent, Christmas, and subsequently lessons and carols can begin very early, which is why we are offering these episodes now. The first part of the lessons and carols series features Jennifer Runge. Jennifer is an NPM member and director of sacred music at the Parish of the Holy Eucharist, which is in the Diocese of Portland, Maine. On this episode, Jennifer shares her best practices and suggestions on how to offer lessons and carols, both musically and while considering the needs of a merged and clustered parish. It's a great place to begin our two-part conversation. Today on Ministry Monday, I am speaking to Jennifer Runge. Hi, Jennifer. How are you? Hi, Amanda. I'm great. How are you? I'm well. I'm well. Thank you. Thank you for chatting with me today on Ministry Monday about lessons and carols. Um, I know when we record this, it is technically still summertime, but we all know that we start to think far in advance. And so I, I thought this was a great conversation to have early on in the season so that if someone is listening and is interesting in doing lessons and carols for the first time or the 10th time, they'll have this, this talk. So thank you for talking with me today. My pleasure. So today, let's start actually, just in case the listeners may not know who you are, would you mind giving a little bit of background on you as a director of sacred music? Sure. Um, so I'm director of sacred music. Uh, I work for... Parish of the Holy Eucharist, which is based in uh, coastal Maine, uh, about 10 minutes, sorry, 10 miles north of Portland. And we're actually a clustered parish. We have four church buildings in our parish, uh, Falmouth, Freeport, Gray, and Yarmouth. And I became director of sacred music here about five or six years ago. It had been sort of a slow run up. Um, about 10 years ago, I started working um, sort of part-time for them as a making music, praying twice early childhood music and movement teacher, as I had young kids at the time. And over the past decade, I've uh, transitioned, as you say, into having kids full-time in school, and I'm now full-time uh, director of music for the parish. Um, I, 
I've had, so I've, in that decade, I've had opportunity to sing in the lessons and carols that pre-existed my directorship and then had a chance to take over from the director um, and start crafting my own. So that's me in a nutshell. Is that, is that your experience with lessons and carols? Is that how you got started singing in a lessons and carol service yourself? Yes, I, I wish I could say that I sang in them as a child. Um, I didn't, although I grew up in church music ministry. Uh, we did not offer anything of this kind in my, in my hometown church in Massachusetts. Um, my very first experience with it actually came in high school. And my director of music in high school, I was at a, a private boarding school, uh, we did a lessons and carols in the chapel that was on campus. So that was my very first experience with it. It was more in the sort of non-denominational Protestant-y tradition, um, but it was a beautiful chapel and it was a beautiful service and we had a pipe organ and lots of singing. So, and I remembered that. So I, when I started working for this church here in Maine, it, uh, like I said, it already existed as an event. Um, so, I originally just joined the choir as a young mom. And that now that I'm director, I'm now fully in charge of planning it. Mm -hmm. Do you direct it as well? Oh yes, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Beginning to end. It, it, mm -hmm. uh, it feels like a concert to me. <laughs> it feels like a very large um, choral, um, choral concert in the Advent season. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yes, I conduct it. Do you find anything, do you find any struggles with having it in the Advent season like that? It, keeping in mind, you said you can, you know, you have such a high level of expectation for it, especially chorally. Yes. Uh, so we spoke before, before we went live here um, a little bit about that. And so for me, in my background is in uh, choral music. Um, I'm a master's in conducting and I had spent about 12 years as a private school music teacher. So I was very much accustomed uh, to having a huge choral concert at Christmas time. And so crafting um, a choral concert from beginning to end that has ebb and flow and variety of music and text, etc. Not necessarily sacred, but has that sort of feel um, was in my wheelhouse. So. I think what I did is I took those experiences and I started inputting that knowledge into how I crafted lessons and carols. So it felt very normal and natural for me as a choral music educator to be creating a lessons and carols experience that tied the, obviously the text of the lessons to a musical work or two, because sometimes I couldn't choose. So then after a few years of doing this, I realized I would be completely spent by this experience because our lessons and carols happens in maybe the second week of Advent because we very much believed that it was um, a celebration that still had to happen in the preparatory time. Um, and then I would have nothing left uh, to prepare for Christmas. <laughs> so I think the fact that we're having this conversation today in August is like light bulb moment Huh, I'm looking at my lessons in carols folder in <laughs> August. What a great idea. Um, so I've only been on the job for like five or six years in this capacity. So I've learned 
like a new church musician would learn. Like you don't put all your eggs in one basket. You've got to leave some something left to do Christmas. Um, and you need to be thinking about all these things well in advance. Can you talk a little bit more about that of making sure that you're planning with your time and your energy and your choristers time and your energy? Well, I wish I could offer nuggets of wisdom. Um, I don't know that I have anything set in stone that anyone else would want to borrow. I, I think I really tend to work organically. And I think what I mean by that is the music I choose drives when I rehearse it. So rather than saying, okay, choir starts in the third weekend, third week in September, roughly, and we're going to start our Christmas music in the first week of October, I dive into what's going on in September and October. And that's what's in front of me. And then I like sometime in October, I start thinking about Christmas and lessons and go, huh, what's going to be the hardest stuff. Maybe I should pull some of that out. I think I overheard someone once say when talking about like this very thing, this is the one nugget I can share and it's not mine. Start, start your Christmas planning in spring, start your Christmas practicing in spring. Now I've not done that, but it's sort of a seed that's sitting in there for maybe the year where I can get to that. And doesn't it also depend on when Easter falls because we were often left with not a good window in spring to like drop that Christmas music in. I, I found this past year, in fact, that we went right from Easter into the, the trifecta of the feast leading up to Corpus Christi. And that was our final choir Sunday. And I had absolutely no time to drop in a Christmas song. So I think it depends on the year. Um, it also depends on how many choirs you're managing. Uh, our, our adult choir, the one that I referenced earlier, that's the one that will start in mid-September or so. My children's choir, we call it a, a youth scola, they won't actually get off the ground until the beginning of October. And my aim for them is to get them singing at a mass in the beginning of December. And this year, for the first time since before the pandemic, I hope to have them sing at lessons and carols. But it'll be like one little thing because the weeks are short and rehearsal is not long and we have a you know, a lot to learn in that first season uh, or first part of the season for the kids. Like I said at the beginning, I work kind of organically mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. find myself only putting things down in an ordered way when I start to panic, <laughs> which is closer <laughs> to the event. <laughs> once the power, but once the panic sets in, then I have beautiful like Word documents that spell everything out with all the detail. Um, but it's all been festering and fermenting and doing all that stuff in my head for like three months at that point. Mm -hmm. so. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. So other than the planning considerations yeah. that you just spoke about, um, what are some of the, what are some of the considerations that you make musically when picking music for lessons and carols? Sure. We always open with once in Royal David city. It is a tradition 
going back to how they started it in Great Britain. And I love it. And I can't imagine not starting with it. So that's always our first piece. So then I, I think about, okay, so the next thing we have to do is bring in the congregational aspect because we always bill it as, you know, this is lessons and carols, a, we have this like nice catchphrase that our um, advertising guru has coined and it's called uh, an event that we hope lifts your spirits and enriches your soul. So with that in mind, we then do, Oh, come all ye faithful, because it's a piece that everyone knows and it gets everyone in the church singing. After that, then I have some freedom. And again, it's looking at the scripture that we're doing, looking at what I've done in years past. And I don't know that it follows the same format every year, Amanda, like, I'd love to say, okay, then the first piece out of the gate is something soft and quiet, because we're in that. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not. It depends on what I'm moved to select. But generally speaking, um, there's going to be variety of text. There's going to be a variety of musical style. There, in years past where I've really gone like hog wild, I've alternated like the men's group does this and the women's group does that. And when I say group, I really just mean like a subset of the choir that I've assembled. The children's scholar does this. So there's that shift. Um, maybe we have a piece that has like a big organ component. Maybe we have a piece that pulls back on the organ. Um, one of the early years, we actually, and this was very ambitious, and I'd like to get back to this. One of our early years, we had ensembles from all four of our churches. Now, I remember I mentioned that we're a cluster parish. So what that means is that Lessons and Carols takes place in Yarmouth at our kind of big stone church, but our other three churches, which have musical ministries that are generally working there, were able to craft a piece, practice it, and bring it to the whole um, structure of the night. So we were, we also had that variety. So it wasn't just my choir from my church in my town that we really did represent the whole parish, which is four churches. In conjunction with that, I know I'm throwing a lot of information at you, but in conjunction with that, we really strive to get readers from all four churches. So that say you live a half hour from us and you attend one of our other churches, but you drive in and you want to see this event and be part of it. You recognize somebody who's up there reading or singing or playing or whatnot. And it's one of the two times a year where I feel like I can get the majority of my music ministry team together in an event. The other event being Holy Thursday where we all gather and put on one mass and we're all together. I have um, seven, seven music ministers who work for the church. And one of one aspect of my job is to manage what they do in all of their places. And so they're all exceptional musicians. I'm really blessed and very lucky. <clears throat> and 
when we are able to come together and make music together rather than separately, it's just, it's incredible. It's a huge gift, both to us and to the parish because um, things really go up a notch when we're together. So. I love that. And you actually, you answered the next question I had down on my notebook, which was, what are some of the parish considerations you make for the entire cluster for lessons yes. and carols? So you talked exactly. about readers, you talked about um, making sure that um, each choir from each parish is involved. Do you see maybe in the future, or maybe it's already happening, um, where each respective like subdirector or assistant director help with the planning of lessons and carols? Is that something you would ever well, see? That would be a great, that would be great. Um, uh, in terms of, well, and the other thing that would be great is if we actually rotated where lessons and carols occurs. Yes. Um, we have four very different churches in terms of buildings. Um, so it would be a different experience in, in each space. Um, by default, it's just happened at our church in Yarmouth because it's the most churchy. <laughs> it look, I mean, it looks, it's a big stone church and has a pipe organ and acoustically for singing, it's the best of the four. But hmm. uh, that doesn't that doesn't eliminate the others as possible places to have it happen. Um, you know, I you just gave me an idea. Maybe I'll ask them if they want to help plan, take a little bit off my plate. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, let's talk a little bit more about the music. So where do you look for new lessons in Carol's music? Where don't I look? <laughs> I look everywhere. Um, down the rabbit hole of the internet. Um, those of us who do this probably know what I'm talking about. You. Uh, YouTube, I've, uh, I just do Google searches where I put in lessons and carols. I put in Advent as a keyword. So maybe I'm getting more selections that fit that season better than say a Protestant lessons and carols, which I think in some places they do it on Christmas Eve. And this, I have not understood like how you can possibly pull that off, but <laughs> some of some of the great British cathedrals, I think, have larger budgets than we have. So, um, so yeah, I look, I look online. I, um, and online can be anywhere from, you know, what's happening in colleges and universities in America. I've definitely looked at, like, the Catholic universities in the Boston area and other places because they tend to have their college students, which means they're doing some pretty significant repertoire. And then I'll listen and say, if I hear anything or find anything, obviously go back to the originals that were done in Great Britain. Uh, those are usually outside of our ability, um, pieces by John Rutter and whatnot. Uh, but I I keep them in mind because I, that's, that's sort of the standard that I'd love to be at, even though we're not there. Um, so the hymns are your classics um, that the congregation will know. Come thou long expected Jesus, comfort, comfort, oh my people, of oh, the Father's love begotten, O come, O come, Emmanuel. Uh, 
Christ circle around us. You know, all of this is in our OCP hymnal. Um, when I'm looking for other stuff, yeah, then I'm looking for, I'm looking at the websites that give me choral anthems. Um, things that the choir can learn. It's got to have a sophisticated enough, I don't want to say melody, but it has to be well-crafted. My standards are usually pretty high because of my years of experience in choral music education. So it's going to be a well-crafted piece. Um, but it can't be so difficult that we can't learn it in, you know, one hour a week with people who are volunteers in church music ministry and all that goes with that. You know, mm -hmm. I don't probably need to explain that, but mm -hmm. people come and go, people are in and out, people travel. You know, you just can't rely on the commitment that you would if it's say if you were a, a, a collegiate um, choral director and you were getting ready for lessons at the end of um, November, early December. Um, I imagine that there are choir directors in the colleges and universities who who capitalize on that. They've got their students all semester. They come back from Thanksgiving and boom, they do it. And they know that that's really their big Christmas concert because everyone's gone. Everyone's gone for Christmas. Mm -hmm. We have to balance that ambition. I should say I have to balance that ambition <laughs> with not having students, first of all, having people who live lives, work jobs, have families, including myself. And the fact that Christmas season, like just, it consumes us, you know? We, you have to get through Thanksgiving and then you're like, oh my gosh, it's barreling down the pike. Here it comes. <laughs> and somewhere in there, we have to make lessons and carols happen. And like I said earlier, not forget that Christmas is coming. And that's yes. kind of also important. And mm -hmm. gosh, is it, it's this year where we have Advent in the morning of, mm -hmm. we have Advent four in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. And then, so all the more reason to be talking about lessons in August. I'm right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Start Googling now, people. <laughs> Find your songs now. That's me just talking to myself. <laughs> mental note, mental note. Mental note, yes. Now, we, we have a question that was submitted actually in advance from a listener. Oh, um, okay. So this is from someone who does not currently do lessons and carols, but knew we were going to be doing this series and so had this question. Um, yes. Would there ever be or do you think it would ever be a good idea to do lessons in carols and maybe kind of tweak it slightly so that it would be more like a Vesper evening setting or something that maybe not traditionally is the eight lessons in carols, but has the same type of idea where there's an alternatum of readings and maybe a hymn and maybe not even choir music, but something like readings and a hymn, readings and a hymn. Do you think that could work? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, before you had even finished asking the question um, and you said it was a, a, a person who might be doing it for the first time, I was thinking, then you do it that way. You do it with just congregational hymnody. If you have a choir, they're there as support and you have your first experience with readings and hymnody and everyone goes home happy. Oh, and you have a cookie reception afterwards, <laughs> yes. which is something that we do, right? That's something we do. Um, and that's a draw. 
-hmm. And it gives you a little sort of like social, like, yay, you know, come for lessons and carols. And um, one year we actually did it as a cookie swap, uh, which is fun. Uh, basically anyone who wants to brings a bunch of cookies and a Tupperware container, and then all the cookies are out on the table and you can go home with more cookies than you baked <laughs> <laughs> and a whole, and a whole variety of cookies. That's so, a nice idea. Yes. I would definitely, mm -hmm. I would stick with, um, the readings and the hymnody and maybe if you were feeling just a little slightly ambitious, you could have your choir, if you had one, do maybe one piece at the beginning as a prelude and then get into the whole body of it. I think that's a great way, especially in the first year to, to yes. give it to give it a try. Actually, and let, let's stay on this question too, because this actually is my last question. Um, are there any other tips you have for someone who wants to do lessons and carols for the first time this year? What the first thing that comes to mind actually is think about what day of the week and what time of the day you're going to offer it. We've experimented um, because we've had to. I think initially out of the gate, we chose a Tuesday night at seven. Sounds nice on paper. Well, a Tuesday night in, at seven in early December in the Northeast, when it's been black as night since 4 p.m. and is cold, isn't so appealing to maybe your more elderly population who might mm -hmm. actually enjoy this. Mm -hmm. Tuesday night at seven doesn't really work for families who are already really fatigued and don't need another night out because their kids are having Christmas concerts and whatnot. So we then bounced over to Sunday afternoon at two for us when we had an 11 o'clock mass that didn't generally get out till 12. The two o'clock was a little tight, like, okay. So we then bounced it back to four. <laughs> Gave our musicians a little bit of time to go home, catch their breath. And then it made sense. We came back, did the lessons and carols, then had the cookie swap right at dinner time. <laughs> so, nice. All the kids home, all juiced up on sugar. <laughs> but people at least got home by a reasonable hour. Um, yeah, we're in Maine, so the, the sun hits us first, but it also leaves us first in December. So, um, so those those things for us were considerations. Wherever you are in the country, you will know the best time, or you may not know it the first year, but you'll figure out, oh, that wasn't such a great time. So trying to find the time where this will draw a crowd um, I think that's an important point. Advertise, 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 and then advertise. Because even if you keep it simple, even if you decide, okay, the first one we're going to do is just the readings and the hymnody, you're still going to be putting time and effort into this. And you don't want to have the same amount of people sitting in the pews as you have sitting in the choir because you failed to talk it up at all the masses, failed to put it in the bulletin, 
fail to advertise it locally. Um, we have a diocesan um, director of communications who's fantastic, who if I send him, uh, hey, this is gonna be happening, he turns it into this gorgeous press release and then, then blasts it to everybody in the diocese. So um, yeah, media coverage, uh, what I mean by that, not, not like the local news, but you know, social media, et cetera. If you've got a website, if you've got Facebook, if you've got Twitter, whatever, early November, start talking about it. Not so early that people are like, oh my gosh, we're talking about Christmas and it's not even Halloween, right? Don't do that. <laughs> Um, but November goes fast. And if you're like, we are, we, and you do your lessons in early December, um, people need to know about it and plan. So that's, so that's tip number two and maybe third tip. Um, just <laughs> take a breath, enjoy it, enjoy it because all the stress is actually going to come in the planning calling people. If you can find somebody in your office who knows the lectors, put them on the task of calling people to be the readers because you're thinking about music. I know for me, I don't want to have to think about who the lectors are and who the readers are because like I said, four churches and I don't know everybody, but there's someone in my office who does. So they craft mm -hmm. that list and then we touch base at the end. Um, have a row reserved for your readers at the front so that they have a place to sit so that they know um have a binder prepared with all the readings and if you're really well organized you have the reader's name at the top so that there's no confusion when the next person you know your reader five and you come up and you go okay this is my reading <laughs> right? you're not rereading the the person before you because they forgot to turn the page or something um it sounds like I'm talking from experience. <laughs> it does, it does. Um, and uh, the candelabra, that's the other thing. Um, the lighting of the candles uh, <laughs> for each reading. We've experimented with where to put it. Um, and also where, let's see. So we have our lesson, we have our carol, we have our prayer, and then we have the lighting of the candle and a little bit of silence so that people will reflect on the reading they just heard, the song they just heard or sang, and the candle is lit, and then there's just a little bit of time, and then you move on. There's For us, there's also a little bit of um, movement because if the congregation is singing, we invite them to stand. We always have the congregation stand when they're singing. If the choir is singing an anthem or a motet by themselves, the congregation just remains seated. So for us, we had to be very deliberate about, um, what do you call that? The sort of the script mm -hmm. of who does what when, yeah. and we provide that for the congregation as well. So it's in their program. So there's so everything that you could possibly think about in terms of, okay, you know, when is this person going to come up and what does the congregation need to do and what hymn number is it? Um, it's a lot to think about, but in the end, when you get there, after you've done all this planning, 
I'm speaking as the, the conductor who then like does the whole thing. It's a joy. It's a thrill. It's, it's, it's a gas. It's really fun. It's really fun. Um, and it goes super fast, you know, boom, nine lessons. <laughs> and you're like, okay, I guess we did it. Thank you. I guess you. it's time for cookies now. I guess it's time for cookies. <laughs> exactly. Um, don't forget the cookies. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, this, I, I can so tell too, if you didn't just say how much you enjoyed it, like I can tell from our conversation how much you enjoy this. Like it, it, it's truly something that while it may take so much preparation and a lot of energy, great, you know, during the Advent season is so rewarding. At least yeah, I can tell from the way you're talking about it for you, it's oh, very thanks. rewarding. And um, I, I hope that your, your music program and your parish also finds it equally rewarding, which I'm sure that yes. Yes. With mm -hmm. each passing year, uh, we, we do experience that, you know, there are more and more people coming, more and more people getting involved and yeah, more cookies. Mm -hmm. So more it's a win-win. <laughs> <laughs> well, Jennifer, this has been Thank such you. a treat. Thank you for chatting with us and sharing your experience on lessons and carols. Um, I very much hope that you have a wonderful season like like we started we'll, we'll end the way we started. I know it's early to be talking about this, um, but I so appreciate you helping us spark that inspiration for this year, because like very you well. said, I mean, it's it's going to be here fast, whether we it's going to be it here not. fast. And this is the year where we have a shorter less time. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you again so much and good luck with your own fall planning season and your own lessons and carols this year. Thank you. I, I have to thank you, Amanda, uh, because now I'm actually excited and might actually start planning tomorrow. Um, oh, well, good. Oh, music to my ears At least before well. the month is out. Before That's the month good. is out. I'm going to look at this. So I, so I avoid the, any self-created stress. So <laughs> final tip well, for everybody. Plan final early. Final tip. Yeah, start now. Thanks so much to Jennifer for this wonderful start to the Lessons in Carol series. For more information about this episode, including a sample program that Jennifer has provided, check out the show notes of this episode at ministrymonday.org. I would be remiss if I also didn't mention that NPM standard level and premium level memberships also receive access to the Choral Anthem Project, which is a planning guide provided by NPM that would help music directors plan for sessions and services exactly like Lessons and Carols. For more information about this, as well as other benefits of membership, visit npm.org forward slash join or email me at ministrymonday at npm.org. The recording of Once in Royal David City was produced by Oregon Catholic Press, and today's theme music was produced by Aaron Schaus. Today's episode was produced by me, Amanda Bruce. That's it for today. With the Spirit's gifts empowering us for the work of ministry, thanks for listening. Have a great week, and we'll see you back here next time on Ministry Monday.